Pastor Sal shared an article with me a couple weeks ago that was talking about some statistics of what's happening in the church, uh, you know, post-pandemic here and where we're at. And uh, the statistics they shared there, uh, you know, I read them, I almost couldn't believe them, but they said that last year in 2020, more than 4,000 churches in America closed their doors never to open again. In that same time period, more than 20,000 pastors left the ministry. And, and so I read those statistics, and they're staggering. My heart breaks. I'm certainly praying for the church in America that God would revive the church in America. But I also look around on a day like this, and I say, thank you, God, for your faithfulness to this church. Amen. I'm so thankful for his faithfulness to the ministry going on here. Amen. In, in the midst of all this, God's stirring something. God's doing something new. And, and the church is, is thriving. And so I want to say to those of you that just give faithfully, generously to the ministry here, uh, your giving's not in vain. Um, the Word of God's going forth. We have uh, children that are learning the Word of God every single Sunday. You're learning and you're growing, I trust, in this place. And uh, the work is going to continue to go forward uh, because you give. And so, um, you know, today you can give in the offering baskets, but you can also give through our PushPay app. Uh, I did a number of years ago where I just automate my giving. And so... It's recurring. As my paycheck comes, uh, my tithe goes out to the Lord, and I just trust, uh, as many of you do, that this investment is an eternal investment. Amen? And so let me pray uh, for the offering today. Heavenly Father, we thank you today uh, for your blessings to us. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for uh, just everything that you place in our hands. Uh, we recognize today that you call us to be good stewards of those things, and so we bring the tithe and the offering into your house today. We bring that first part, and as we place it in the, in the bucket today, or as we give online, Lord God, even as we do that, Lord, our hearts desire that all that we have is yours, not just what we give, but what we hang on to, and would you make us good stewards of it for, for your work and for your kingdom to expand. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you had a good Thanksgiving? How many of you ate way more than you should have eaten? All right. It's confession time. Um, well, I'm gonna, we're going to switch things up a little bit this morning. We were uh, originally planning to kick off a, a new series today entitled Called, and, and Pastor Floyd was going to preach the message today, uh, but I got a text on the way in. He was here, and then he wasn't feeling well, and I, I got here, and uh, he's battling some kidney stones, okay? Those of you that have gone through that, you know what that's like. So he was ready. He said, I'm going to preach. I can do this, and, and the more we talked, he said, you go home, <laughs> you rest. We're just going to trust the Lord. So I'm going to share with you some thoughts today as we uh, jump into Advent. And I, I really see the Lord's hand in this because I think sometimes we can just jump into things and not really set our hearts right. And so I want to share a few thoughts with you today. Um, these are things I had written down, and I apologize if it's not so polished, but it was a real short time. And I just said, Lord, what do you want to speak uh, to your church today? And um, so we're, we are, are gearing up. Advent. This is the first Sunday of Advent, actually. And i got to be honest, I, I love this time of year. Um, my only issue is that the shopping days keep getting earlier and earlier, right? Um, and, 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 you know, here's, here's what was really on my heart to share with you this morning as we jump into this season, um, is that we would fix our hearts on what is really central uh, to this Christmas season. I know we can say that, but really fix our hearts on what is central to the Christmas season. I'm 45 years old now, 
but I can remember uh, coming to a candlelight service here when I was a, a young child. I still remember the first candlelight service when they gave me my own candle. Like, I can hold my own candle. I'm like, this is great. They, they trust me with fire, right? This is, this is awesome, right? Um, you, you all can probably remember uh, growing up uh, a Christmas Eve or, or Christmas Day. Those, those memories just come to us, right? Uh, in my house, we always opened Christmas presents on Christmas Eve, okay? I think it's cool to, to well, say Christmas Day, we're going to open the presents and kids go to sleep, right? Like, how are you supposed to go to sleep when you know it's coming, right? Um, but there's something magical, right? Especially for children about Christmas time and the tree and the presents and all this. But honestly, as you get a little bit older, the magic kind of wears off, right? By the time you're 18 or 19, probably know exactly what you're getting for Christmas. In fact, my kids already picked it all out, right? They know what they're getting now. The conversation is just, can I get it earlier? Can I get it before Christmas Day, right? But here's the reality. Listen, whether you're religious in this place or not, you have to admit there's something that shifts in our culture in this time of year. There's something that happens culturally in the United States, but not just here alone, but across the world and, and every culture. I, I know of nothing else like it, right? It doesn't matter what uh, what genre of music you listen to, whether it's folk music or rap or rock, right? All of a sudden, the, the programming on that station changes, right? And it turns to, to Christmas music. And, and there's all sorts of things that, that begin to occur as we get on the other side of Thanksgiving and into Advent. The houses change, right? Even the food that we eat changes a little bit. I mean, all of a sudden, we're eating food that we don't eat any other time of the year, right? I mean, nobody goes home on a Thursday night and says, let's have some candy yams and throw some marshmallows on it, right? We don't, we don't do that during the regular part of the year. There are certain things that we eat at this time of the year that we don't throughout the rest of the year, uh, and we, we probably don't even get near them. And, and we've got, again, the presents and the trees and the yards decorated and the food that makes us all feel nostalgic. You've got all these things happening, and it's, it's really one of the weirdest shifts culturally that we have, right? And, and I, I love every bit of it. I, I really do. I also like getting them, right? We've got all these things happening, but here's my fear, church. It's not a Christmas fear, to be honest with you. It's just a consistent fear that I have for the church. My fear is that in all the tinsel and in all of the trees and all of the presents and the lights and the family coming over and the food to be eaten, for all the stuff that we've got going on right now, for all of the shadows, if we're not careful, we will miss the form that casts the shadow. And if you see the shadows, but you miss the form, then when everything's said and done, what do you have after Christmas Day? You've got more trash than normal, right? You've got a little more debt than normal. You've got a a dirtier house than normal. But besides that, where will you be? If you empty Christmas of its depth and you stay on the surface, here's what I believe, you suck the life out of the whole thing. In Luke chapter 3, the Bible tells us that Jesus gets in the water with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist had, had just finished his sermon, and he said, hey, there's, there's a guy that's coming. And people were starting to think that John the Baptist was the guy, that he was the Messiah. He's like, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. I'm just a guy talking about a guy who's, who's coming. And, and, and so Jesus shows up, right? And he gets in the water, and he says to John, hey, John, baptize me. And John goes, no way, right? Jesus is like, I'm God, okay. And then John baptizes him, and he pulls him out of the water, 
and the audible voice of God speaks to where the whole crowd can hear it. And the audible voice of God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He says, I'm very pleased. Now, this idea of God's pleasure in Jesus is found just really four times in the New Testament. You've got this idea of God being pleased or God being pleased in or God having pleasure. And in one of those, and, and this is what I, what I want to talk to you just quickly about today, is this idea of dealing with forms versus shadows. Colossians chapter 1, it says that all of the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus and it brought the Father pleasure. Now, the reason I want to just unpack this a little bit this morning is because that's really an unbelievable statement. That all of the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus, in this little baby, right? Because Scripture tells us in the book of Job that all of creation is but the fringes of God's power. That means that everything that you can see, from from the stars to the Grand Canyon, from the mountains to the oceans, all of those things are but a fringe, but a slice. They're a sliver of the majesty of God. So I don't know if you've ever stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Anybody ever been there? If you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, here's what it'll do. It'll suck the life right out of you, okay? Because nobody ever stands at the edge of the Grand Canyon and talks about how great they are, right? You feel very small in that moment. Like, you're not talking about how much you bench press at the edge of the Grand Canyon, right? You're, you're just amazed by the majesty of that place. I don't know if you've ever gone to Hawaii. Anybody ever been on the North Shore of Hawaii? The tremendous waves. You're seeing 10, 12-foot waves breaking on that beach, and flags out. They're pretty much like, don't go in the water. If you do, you're going to die, right? They're flying that flag, okay? If you've ever been there and you've watched those waves crash, the size of it all and the majesty of it all, according to Scripture, it is the fringes. It's nothing. It's tiny. It's unworthy to be compared to the greatness of God. And the Scripture says this, that all of the fullness of that majesty dwelt in Jesus Christ, in this baby in the manger. Now, we see it a couple of times in Scripture where God kind of pulls back the veil, if you will. There's this story where Jesus takes the three, not the twelve, but the three, right, up onto the side of the mountain. You know the story of the transfiguration, right? And God kind of pulls back the veil. And, and it says in that text that when God pulls back this, this kind of facade that most of us walk in, that Jesus shone as bright as the sun. Then in another place in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, it plays on that same kind of wording. In Revelation, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, and in his right hand, he held the seven stars, which were symbolic of the seven churches in the seven largest cities in the ancient world. And that's it. They're just kind of like in his right hand. They're kind of like playthings to him. These immense cities that we would say, oh, wow, look how, how big they are, look how mighty they are. They're, they're sitting in the right hand of Jesus, sitting by the throne. This is Scripture trying to get across to you and me the scope and the power of Jesus. Now, you're going to see it a few times in the New Testament when he does things like he commands the wind and the rain, right, to, to be still, and they actually obey him, right? The wind and the waves obey him. Or he curses a fig tree, and that fig tree shrivels up. Or he tells a girl that's been dead for a day to get up, and she listens, right? In each one of those instances, there's a moment where People stop walking a little close to Jesus for a little while because they're overwhelmed by the majesty and the light and the glory and the power of God. Like the disciples were like, who is this, right? 
so much power in this matter. But, but here's where it gets so intriguing to me. Because powerful things usually have a tendency to struggle with gentleness. Powerful things usually have a tendency to struggle with gentleness. But in Jesus, you have the fullness of God. You have the fullness of the majesty of God purely dwelling in Jesus. But you also have gentleness and meekness and humility and forgiveness and this overwhelming love. Let me illustrate. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, there's a quote from Isaiah. It says this, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised bee reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. So this immense, majestic, powerful Jesus, he said he wouldn't break off a bruised reed. He would hold that reed until it got healthy. He wouldn't snuff out a smoldering wick and said he would cup it in his hand and he would blow on it until it's relit. And, and here's the enigma. Here, here's what's so hard for us to get our minds around. In Jesus is the absolute sovereignty over heaven and earth, and yet there's complete obedience. There's, there's infinite majesty and there's infinite meekness. There's complete self-reliance and yet utter obedience to God the Father. The fullness of God dwelling in Christ. Christ's majesty majesty and his mercy in the same space. Now, now listen, this is the gospel. Okay? Jesus is ultimate reality. He stands behind all things. He's in all things and, and through all things. And, and throughout our, our evangelical language, here's what you get. Christ is the form that casts all shadows. And so if you can get that, then you've got weight and you've got depth and you've got beauty. But if you don't get that this Christmas, here's what you get. Get a sweater. You, you get a pair of socks. You get, a, get another gift that, that you probably don't need. And, and I know there's something that's like drug-like with presents with kids, right? They're like, just, they, go, they go nuts. When, you, when you're young, there's kind of this euphoria that comes with presents. And so Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, it's a pretty cool thing, man. But here's what's going to happen. If that's all I see, that's a pretty good evening. Or that's a, that's a pretty good day. If all I get is the joy of being a giver or the joy of getting, that's just a pretty good morning. But what if in, in the midst of all that joy, what if in, in the midst of your son or daughter lighting up or being surprised or even you getting something that you wanted, what if in that moment you're reminded the words of Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says that if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your fathers in heaven give good gifts Xbox, it's more than a new iPhone, we're up to 13 now, right? It's, it's more than that. It's more than just that thing. There's, there's something deeper, there's something divine happening in the room. All of a sudden, something so ordinary becomes spiritual and it becomes vital. What if you're sitting around the table and you're eating all that great food and, and you're enjoying some good wine or some good soda, right? And we're enjoying that moment together. What if instead of green bean casserole and smoked ham, right? I, I remember the book of Ecclesiastes. It teaches me that 
that we were created for new things and we're constantly breathing superficial air. It's like even as believers, we're, we're just eating sugar all the time, right? What, what's that next thing that's going to make me happy? You can, you can eat sugar all the time and you can constantly be sick and you can never be full, despite the fact that you eat and you eat and you eat and you eat. Again, this isn't just a Christmas thing. Church, we need to realize Christ is everywhere. He's in all things and through all things. He created all things. He's, he's everywhere for those who actually have eyes to see him. And listen, if there's not something behind this Christmas season, let's be honest, it's, it's like the weirdest thing in the world. Right? If there's not something deeper and greater, we, we need to just slow down and say, well, what are we doing then? Like, I just bought a fake tree. Or I bought a real tree and I cut it down and I dragged it into my house, right? I buy the kids all this stuff and, and, and they just freak out, right? And, and I just risk my life to hang some lights from my house. Anybody? Right? There's a fake reindeer on my lawn. What, what are we doing? We have to come to grips with how weird all this stuff is if there's not something behind it. Because otherwise, we'll go through Christmas and, and we'll get some good stuff the deeper meaning. And so this is my hope for us, that we slow down. Did you slow down? Are we, are we, we started doing Advent seasons, not just Christmas. It's, it's four weeks leading up to Christmas. But it's, there, there's, we need to slow down. We need to reflect. We need to realize what it means that God took on flesh. That he is Emmanuel. He's, he's God with us today. And it, it's my prayer that after Christmas is gone, you've got God lingering long after the presents are open, right? Over and over again, Jesus tells stories, and, and then he says this, He who has ears, let him hear. Or he who has eyes, let him see. And, and this is my hope for you this Christmas, that, that we might be able to throw out all of the evangelical jargon, if you will, all the language we use around Christmas, and that we would just see Christ for who he is. That we would truly see him see him in the presence. We'd see him in the tree. Yeah, we'd see him in the tinsel. We'd see him in the, the pomp and the circumstance and all this stuff around us. We'd see him in all that we do because that is what we were actually created for. And if you never see Jesus, but you only see shadows, then all the way to Christmas is nothing. The Old Testament prophets and the New Testament witnesses say that on a, a dark night in the middle of nowhere, listen to me, Bethlehem is, is the it's first century hick town, okay? In the middle of nowhere, the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament witnesses describe his birth like this, that all of a sudden, in, in the middle of darkness, light was born. That light entered into the world. And, and listen, you don't even have to be religious in here or have any kind of relationship with God. You can be agnostic, you can be atheist, you can think we're all crazy. Most of the time, I think we're crazy too. But here's what you can't deny today, that there was a shift in the Jesus was born. Literally, time pivots on the birth of Christ. There, there was a shift in, in the world, and, and every year there's this shift in the world. There's this shift in the world unlike anything that we've seen up until this point. And, and here's what I'll tell you. In the middle of Bethlehem, in the middle of nowhere, a man whose, whose mother was basically a peasant girl and whose dad was a carpenter, okay, he was, Jesus was born from there. He lives his life. He's crucified. Died and he rose from the dead. We'll get into that when somebody come back in Easter, okay? 
first century, it referred to people who lived outside of the cities because Christianity had, had, had taken such root in the cities that, that it was those outside of the cities, only those who had not yet heard of Jesus. But the light of Christ spread, and it spread, and it spread, and it spread. And here's the thing, it continues to spread. And there have been all kinds of things that have tried to destroy this message. I mean, you can study history, not just Christian history. There, there, you see that, that, this, that this, for some reason, Christianity is the greatest threat to mankind ever. You know, things like grace and mercy and love and right? love and those kinds of things, right? And, and so there have been many that have been trying to destroy the, the Christian message, trying to, to take it down early on in Rome. And we were thrown to lions. We were crucified by the thousands, and you can just move throughout history. Government after government, they've been hard-pressed to try to kill Christianity and silence the church and shut the doors of the church. Even in a society like ours that is overly materialistic and has more to do with God, there's still these things that are coming our way, church, that are coming our way. In fact, one of the biggest problems that's happening with evangelicalism in the States is that most people that have just enough of Jesus to be inoculated to the rest of them, right? Just enough. It's, it's, it's okay to like Jesus. You just better not love him because that makes me a little uncomfortable. There's that grace about Jesus like that. And yet, the light of Christ continues to spread. Is the church perfect? Well, Jesus is, but that's about where the perfection ends, right? And, and so I meet all kinds of people who don't want uh, to be Christians because they know too many of them. But you just got to kind of find and kind of get to a place where you don't discredit God because of his people, okay? Because we're flawed and, and we fail. The scripture says this about this gospel message it will spread uh, until there is a viable presence in them among every tribe and every tongue and every nation, every people group on the planet. It's not going to stop. And after 2,021 years, it looks like that Jesus really was the only one. So as we enter into this season, I want us to begin by celebrating. I want us to begin by celebrating his coming. The, the reason he came was to pay the debt that we owe for the message that the Washingtons have come to the Bronx in just a few moments. And I want you to take some time this morning to reflect. Because maybe you're here today, and maybe this is your, your first Christmas, Christ is really a part of your Christmas, right? Maybe this is the year that, that God drew you to himself. This is your first year walking through this with some, some different eyes. Maybe this is the year that, that God's done something new. I want to encourage you in this season, as you are surrounded by the shadows, church, don't miss the thrill that casts the shadow. Don't miss Jesus Christ. For some of you, this is many Christmases you've been going through this. And here's the danger I was talking about with someone after the first service. The dangers you fall into routine, here's what I gotta do, right? I'm so busy 
me take advantage of every moment, of every opportunity. Don't let me miss you on this Christmas. Lord, I want you to be the center. I want you to be truly be the reason for the season. 